Hello and welcome to Living Hope. This is Pastor Staten, and I want to welcome everybody that is joining us today. A shout out to our E family, all of you that are joining us through the internet. I want to remind you every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock, you can join us live at tv.livinghopemd.com. I pray that today's message blesses you and that you enjoy the word as it is shared today. I'm so lost to be found, and I know it's in my mind. You want to, while you're making your way to you, see if you want to stand for the reading of the word, you're more than welcome to this morning and get your Bible out. Turn to the book of John chapter 4. Again, while you're turning, I apologize for all my sniffling this morning. Allergies are hitting me, but I did take some medicine. It's kicking in. I feel it. But John chapter 4, take, take a moment and give honor to our pastor and his family. Give honor to you, Bishop, and uh, just appreciate the opportunity to stand before you all this morning. I never take it lightly. John chapter 4, if you're there, say amen. I'm going to start in verse 20. Many of you know this story, but this woman at the well is speaking to Jesus, and she says, Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and ye say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus saith unto her, Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Ye worship, ye know not what, Jesus says. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. But the hour is coming, Jesus says, and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. The last verse this morning, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Amen. Would you bow your heads this morning and pray with me? Lord, I pray this morning, God, that first of all, you would have your will, Lord, you would have your way. God, speak to us from your word, Lord. Challenge us, God, in how we worship and praise you, Lord. Take us deeper and further in you, Lord, and help us to grow. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. You may be seated. So last week we went over, or we, we, we endeavored on this topic of praise and worship with emphasis on praising the Lord. This week I would like to teach simply on worshiping the Lord. How many of you enjoy worshiping the Lord? Anybody? Hopefully you do. I, I do. There's, there's something about being in the presence of the Lord. But I would also say, and hopefully you would be honest with me this morning, and also say that to worship the Lord can be a struggle sometimes. Anybody? Maybe it's a struggle this morning for you to worship the Lord. But we worship him anyhow, right? Worship is a very important subject, not just to us, but also to God. I know that may not seem like a shocker to anyone, right? That worship should be important to us, and it's important to God. I know that I'm preaching to the choir this morning. Hopefully the main reason that you got up this morning and came to church was you came to worship the Lord. Right? Why else would you wake up, iron your clothes, put on your Sunday best, get the family together and drive to the house of God and sit there for maybe three, four, five hours? Why else would you do that if, if you didn't come to worship the Lord? Obviously, there are many other places we could be 
many other things you could be doing, but many of us, and hopefully all of us, came because we chose to worship Jesus, because worshiping God is important to us. In fact, I'm of the opinion that there's no other place I'd rather be right now than be in the house of God. Nothing else I'd rather be doing right now than worshiping the Lord. Amen? Worshiping God is my only pursuit when I come to church. The rest of the stuff, getting to see you guys' faces, getting to see my friends, fellow saints of God, fellowship, hearing the preach word of God, receiving from the Lord, even eating food. Hello, somebody. We like to eat in church. Those are not the primary reasons that I come, though. Those are just an added benefit and blessing. The reason why I come is because I come to worship the Lord. The power behind worship is that real worship, biblical worship, that we can model from Scripture is really more than just a song we sing on Sunday. It's more than just a time where we have our emotions engaged and and we feel the presence of God. I love that. I'm not here to knock that. But worship is really more than that. It's a lifestyle. Worship is a day-by-day dedication to pleasing the Lord. It's more than just corporate worship at church or worshiping God in key moments of our life. It's worshiping him in everything that we do. The word worship, as we have come to know it, comes from an old English word which means worth-ship. It literally means to give something worth or to demonstrate a value or apply an attribute to something. Worship is putting the value you hold for something on display. When we worship God, we are demonstrating how important he is to us. And that's why I say when you truly worship God, it's a one-on-one thing. It has nothing to do with anyone else. It's God, you are important to me, and, 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 and God, this moment in time is between me and you. It's not between anyone else. As believers, there are so many ways to worship God. I don't have the time to go through it all, but here's a, a, a general list. We can worship God through song, which, right, that helps us to immediately focus our heart on the Lord. That's why many of us, when we think of worship, the first thing we think of is music, right? Because it's easy to get our hearts and minds focused when there's kind of a melody going, when there's rhythm in the background. There's something about us in music that just resonates with us, and it's easy to worship God, especially when there are lyrics. I've had this on my mind all day. My wife can, can admit that song, Jesus, how beautiful, how excellent, how marvelous is your name, right? That song has been resonating with me all morning. I don't know why, but there's something about music and worship that go hand in hand. But worship is so much more than just a song, right? Worship is a lifestyle. It's giving our time. That is also worship whether it's serving in the church or out in the community spreading the gospel, being generous with our finances is also worship. Pulling that dollar out of your pocket and giving it to the kingdom of God is worship. Obeying what the Holy Ghost tells you also is worship. When the Holy Ghost prompts you to go pray for someone, when the Holy Ghost prompts you to change this and that and we obey, that is worship. Choosing Jesus Christ, even when we don't feel like it, is worship. It's all worship. Everybody is called to be a worshiper. No one is excluded. Nobody. Tell your neighbor, you should be a worshiper. Everyone who's listening right now, whether you're here, whether you're watching online, 
You are called to be a worshiper. Every one of us was created and called to worship the Lord. Somebody say worship. Worship. All right, we're going to dig a little bit this morning into the word. Just like I mentioned last week with praise, there are many, many words in the Bible that are used for worship. For the sake of time, I'm only going to highlight a few of these words. I'm not a, a, a Hebrew expert or a Greek expert, but the most common root word or the most common word in the Hebrew for worship is the word sahah. S-A-H-A is how we would spell it in English, but that's not really how it's spelled. But sahah means to bow down. It's the most common word used for worship in Scripture is to bow down. Exodus chapter 34 and 8 tells us, And Moses made haste, and he bowed his head toward the earth, and he worshiped. Second Chronicles chapter 7 and verse 3 says, And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down, and the glory of the Lord was upon the house, that they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement, and they worshiped, Sahah, and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endure forever. So worshiping the Lord, as I've referenced, means that we must bow down. And this has to apply to every area of our life, to bow down. If we are to make worship a lifestyle, then bowing down even goes further. It's more than just a physical action. It's more than when we come to church and bow down or when we're around others, that's when we bow down. No, we must bow down every day. Bow down on our jobs to God. Bow down to him in our dreams and our ambitions. We must surrender and bow down to him. That's worship. Even with our family, we must bow down to the Lord. In our finances, we must bow down. I can go on and on, but this concept of sahad, this bowing down, applies to everything that we do. As you go about your, your week this week, I want you to reflect and ask yourself, even ask God to reveal areas where you may not be bowing down and worship to the Lord. And then start to surrender and bow down when he reveals those areas to you. Trust me, it will be a process. It's not going to be easy, right? Many of us struggle to bow down to God in your finances, but when you do, there's a freedom there. There's a liberty there that God begins to do in our life. Watch how the Lord will show up and reveal himself when you bow down in these areas of your life. He will do it, but we must be willing to bow down to him. Amen. Another word I want to highlight is the Greek word proskuneo. Proskuneo is P-R-O-S-K-Y-N-E-O. Proskuneo. And this word is similar to sahad. And it means to prostrate oneself, to kiss the hand in a token of reverence, or to make obedience or obeisance. Many of us know the story of the birth of Jesus Christ, but we see this word proskuneo when the wise men come to see him. Matthew chapter 2 and 2 says, the wise men are saying, where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. Jesus, many of us have heard this story as well. He's with his disciples And he goes to the Gadarenes, and when he gets there, there's a man who is full of demons. He's living in the tombs. He's cutting himself and and doing all manner of things. And the Bible declares in Mark chapter 5 
that this man who was full of demons, when he saw Jesus afar off, that he ran to him and he worshipped him. He prostrated himself before the Lord and worshipped him. Other words for worship that I want to highlight or spotlight are the Hebrew word avad, A-B-A-D, avad, and the Greek word latrio, L-A-T-R-E-U-O. And both of these words are the Old and New Testament words that stand for worship, and what they mean is worship is to serve. Worship means to serve. Exodus chapter 8 and verse 1 says, And the Lord spake to Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may what? They may serve me. Matthew chapter 4, Jesus is fasting in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights, and the devil is there. He's tempting him. Matthew 4 and 9 says, And the devil said to Jesus, All these things I will give thee, if you will fall down and worship me, right? The devil knows what worship means. It means bowing down, right? He's asking Jesus to bow down before him. But Jesus' response in verse 10, he says unto Satan, Get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Him alone shalt thou worship. Serving the Lord is worship. We are commanded To serve the Lord. The Bible tells us in Psalms chapter 102 that we are to serve the the Lord with what? With gladness. Not with a frown on your face. Not with, uh, you know, anger in your mind because this is what you have to do. But you're supposed to serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Right? Last week I talked about praise to me is the launching point of worship. If we are to serve the Lord and be glad, then you've got to come the right way. You've got to come with singing and rejoicing. You've got to come with thanksgiving, the Bible says. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, into his courts with praise. If you're going to serve the Lord with gladness, that is the way to do it. There was ever a lifestyle uh, application of worship that is difficult for us to do day after day, then it's probably service. We as human beings, we can be prideful sometimes. Can I get a witness? Maybe I'm the only one who can be prideful sometimes. God bless y'all saints of God that don't have to deal with pride. Right? But serving the Lord is cool and all when the spotlight is shining. When the spotlight of God is, is brightest in your life, serving the Lord is easy to do. But if no one tells us you're doing a good job, if no one is recognizing your efforts, right, if if they're ignoring your service, then many of us, we get prideful. We take issue with that. As I was writing down this point, my flesh didn't like what what God was revealing to me. All the times over the years where I've scrubbed toilets, where I've cleaned the church, where I've stayed after service and prayed and and showed up early to music practice and spent time studying and teaching and preaching and preparing, all these things that my flesh really didn't want to do, but I did anyway. God had to remind me I'm not, I shouldn't be above such things. I shouldn't have to get all the spotlight when when I'm on the platform. That's not why God created me and that's not why I worship. But we can be prideful sometimes and only want to do those things that we like to do when God has called us to do many more other things. 
We, we, we can't be above serving the Lord because we are called to worship him. We are called to serve him. I wasn't doing those things because, because they were just the right thing to do. I was doing those things because if I really love the Lord, then I want to please him. Believe me, I'm not here to tell you those things are, are easy, right? No one wants to wake up. No one wants to scrub a toilet, all right? Just if you want to, God bless you. But that's not what, what makes me excited, to scrub a toilet. But I want to remind someone we should remember and understand that we're doing all these acts of service in worship. Serving the Lord is one of the ways we demonstrate how important God is to us. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Worship means that we serve the Lord. Perhaps this may be your first time hearing this this morning, but God actually commands us to worship him. We are to worship him and nothing else. The real issue when it comes to worship is that we as human beings, whether you believe it or not, we are created to worship. We can't help but to worship. Worship just comes out of us, whether it's to the Lord or not. We worship many, many things. Problem is we worship the wrong things. We worship other things that we feel are more important to God. And what we really are implying is that these other things are more valuable than God. Remember, worship has to do with the worth of something. The issue is, is not a new thing, however. It's not something new in 2023 that we're dealing with. But this misplaced worship is something that humanity has struggled with for thousands of years. We don't come out and say that these other things that we worship are more valuable or more important to God. We don't like to proclaim those things. Others do, but many of us sitting here today, we don't just run out and say, I believe this is more important than Jesus, or I believe that. We don't do that. But our actions, though, tell the real story. Actions speak louder than words is the old saying. When God brings his people out of Egypt and is preparing them for the promised land, God gives them commandments and laws to obey. Deuteronomy chapter 6 says, Then beware lest you forget the Lord, which brought you forth out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. God says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him and swear by his name. Verse 14 tells us this, You are not to go after other gods of the gods of the people which are around about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God. He's a jealous God. Lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from the face of the earth. Those are some strong words from the Lord to Moses. Strong words from God. Destroy you from the face of the earth. I'm thankful, God, you haven't destroyed me yet. Lord, but says here that God was, God is a jealous God. God was jealous in the sense that he expected full devotion, not a partial or lukewarm commitment. Worship belongs to God, and he is right to be jealous of it. I think there's a verse in, in Revelation that says those who are lukewarm, God's going to spew them out of his mouth. 
Right? God doesn't want a partial commitment from us. He wants everything that we can give to him. So, yes, God is a jealous God, but this is not a jealousy as you and me have come to know jealousy. God's not going to get envious when you don't worship him. God's not going to get bitter when you don't worship him. He's not going to resent you over your lack of worship. That's how we treat jealousy. When we don't get our way, we have a, we have a pity fit. We, 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 throw, we throw a fit when things don't go our way. When someone else gets something that we want, that's the jealousy that we have. That's not the type of jealousy that, that the Bible is talking about here. This is a divine jealousy. It's saying this is the reason why God is going to get jealous. It's because he will not share his glory with anybody else. Many of us know Satan, Lucifer, the devil, call him what you want to call him, but he was booted out of heaven. This is my uh, paraphrasing of this point, but his job was to collect the worship and give it to God. But the moment he tried to collect it for himself, God said, I don't do that. Get out. I, I don't play that game. Get out. Isaiah 42 and 8 tells us that I am the Lord. That is my name. And my glory will I not give to another. Neither will I give my praise to graven images. God's not going to share what belongs to him. I don't know about you. I don't like it when I have to share something that I know is mine, right? I don't like to share. But God definitely doesn't like to share worship. He doesn't like to share the praise that belongs to him. That is why we must be all in, 100% invested when we worship. We must worship God and God alone. God instructs his people in Exodus chapter 20, again, reiterating this point, that ye shall have no other gods before me. Ye shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. God is covering every basis here. Ye shall not bow down to him or to them. Or serve them. There's both of those references to what worship means. You're not to bow down to anything else, and you're not to serve anything else. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Many of the Old Testament commands against idolatry refer specifically to physical idols, such as those that would have been present in the pagan nations surrounding the children of Israel. As you move into the New Testament and the establishment of the church, saints of God still struggled with idolatry in Rome, in Asia Minor, Philippi, Ephesus, and all the other locations where many of the letters that were written to those, to those people and churches were, 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 there was a struggle for men and women of God to stop worshiping the false gods that were around them. Over and over, Paul has to tell them, repent and get right and and do this and do that. And the truth is, even if we're not bowing down to physical things today, we're not bowing down to an image of a false god like in the days of Scripture, idolatry is still an issue in the day and hour we live in. Perhaps the best description I've read on idolatry is this uh, by this minister. It says, someone asked, what is an idol to him? And he said, well, here is the real thing. An idol is a thing that is loved or a person that is loved more than God. An idol is something that we want more than God. An idol is something that we desire more than God. It's something that we treasure more than God. It's something that we enjoy more than God. 
He takes it to the extent that an idol is anything which causes us to think less of God. That is idolatry. Nowadays, our idols are things like pride, money, popularity, how we look when others look at us, right? Our body image. Idols can be our hobbies, our success even. We want success more than anything else. And so if that means, God, you got to take a back seat, we're making success an idol. Some of these things may not in themselves be bad. It's true. We need money in order to live. Caring for your bodies, you should take care of your health. It's appropriate. We know God is the giver of good gifts, and we can take delight that the hobbies, the talents and abilities that God has given us, God wants us to enjoy those things. However, when we begin to value something above God, and you expect that thing to provide you with ultimate satisfaction, we have begun making that thing into an idol. You may not admit or proclaim that that thing is an idol, but again, your actions, how much you want that gratification from that thing and and how much that thing fulfills you, your actions and how much you cherish those things contrast to that, how much you really cherish the Lord. The Bible tells us that God alone is supposed to be sufficient for every need that we have. We're supposed to delight in him. Those other things are not meant to be made God. They're meant to just be gifts that God has given us. James Pittman is an author of a book called What is Worship? And I want to read a short excerpt from it. It says, he says in this book that human instinct to worship is is an inevitable thing. But much of what we call worship today is really not worship at all. We worship what we love and value, he writes, but we value the wrong things. And so these wrong things that we value, we make them into little g gods. And as lesser gods, when those things topple over one by one, because that's what false gods do, what happens is our worship that we're giving them, it turns into disappointment, it turns into bitterness, and it turns into regret. We were created to find fulfillment in God alone. And we're to do that by responding with thankfulness to his greatness and thankfulness to his goodness. But from how we're supposed to worship God, he says in this book that we have fallen from such an original stance or point of worship. Romans chapter 1 and 20 through 23, he he recites in this book, and I'm not going to read it for the sake of time this morning. But it tells us that our ancestors, if you read this excerpt in Romans chapter 1 verses 20 through 23, he says, Paul says that our ancestors stopped worshiping the God who created them and blessed them. They stopped glorifying him as God. They stopped being thankful that he is the God of them. They stopped responding to the truth that God is the one who made everything that they have, even to the point where now it gets so far off track that now the people of God don't even remember or even know or can can recognize when the goodness of God has been placed on us. The result in this book, he says, is that we as humans begin to suffer. We begin to experience things that God never meant for us to experience, where our thoughts and our hearts begin to be captured and twisted by a contaminated world, these idols that we start to serve. He says we're worshiping the wrong things. We're beginning to covet the wrong things. And I'm hurrying for a moment because I want to get to my last point, but I want to 
I want to I wanna say one thing. Somebody say the word covetousness. I know it's a big word, right? Covetousness. The idolatry of today is covetousness. And it is the act or it's an activity that comes from the human heart. This is not a deed of the body, right? This is not something that we can point to as this body part does this, this body part does that. No, covetousness isn't, isn't an, an application of the body, but it's actually an application of the spirit. Because covetousness starts in the heart. It's a craving. It's a wanting. It's an enjoying and being satisfied by anything that we begin to treasure more than God. That's covetousness. That's idolatry. The Apostle Paul calls attention to covetousness in many of his letters to the church. And he's saying that covetousness is a disordered love or desire that we have. It is loving more than, than sorry, let me read this right. Loving more, loving more than God, what ought to be loved less than God. Does that make sense? It's a desired love or a disordered love, it's loving more than God what ought to be loved less than God and only for the sake of God. But covetousness is the condition that a disordered heart is in, an act of loving too much what ought to be loved less. If you look around our culture, idolatry is, is rampant. People love anything and everything. doesn't even make sense today. It's everywhere in our culture. But it's time that we, as the people of God, get our worship back in order, right? It's time that we get our, our minds and hearts focused and put our attention on God. It's time that we worship the Lord and worship him alone. Again, as I said earlier, we must be all in. And the correct way that we worship is just as Jesus said we have to worship. We must worship him in spirit and in truth. In John chapter 4, we have the account of the woman at the well. And as a little backstory, she was a Samaritan. And at this point in history, the Samaritans and the Jews, they did not get along with one another. In fact, if you read the whole account, verses 1 through, I think it's verse 30 there, when Jesus first initiates the conversation with her, she takes offense that Jesus, a Jewish man, would ask her for water. Verse 9 says that, she says the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Despite this odd introduction and discontent with the culture of the day, Jesus and this, and this Samaritan woman continue the conversation between one another. And eventually the woman declares that her ancestors, if you really want to be correct, they're the same ancestors of Jesus, actually. Her ancestors worshipped on the very mountain they were standing on, and now we get to the story in, in verse 21. So Jesus says to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. You don't even know what you're worshiping, Jesus says to her. We know what we worship, for salvation is of the Jews. Jesus says the hour is coming. Matter of fact, the hour is at hand. When the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking, he's searching, he's longing for a true worshiper to worship him. Verse 24, God is a spirit, 
And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. One of the things that jumped out to me as I was studying was simply this. And these are Jesus' words. These are not mine. But in order to be a true worshiper, you can't worship God any way that you like. Let that sink in. You can't worship God any way that you like. God's not going to accept just any kind of worship. God's not going to accept all, all worship that people give unto him. I've got some examples later, but the worship that he is seeking is, is specific, right? It's, it's those that worship him in spirit and in truth. Let's address the spirit part first. What does Jesus mean when he says true worshipers must worship him in spirit? To say that we must worship God in spirit means, among other things, that it must originate from within. It must come from the heart. It must be sincere. It must be motivated, motivated sorry, by a love for God and gratitude for all that God has done. Worship can't be mechanical. It's not meant to be formalistic. That was the problem in Jesus' day. Many of the Pharisees were following the law, and they were like, well, this is what the law says, and God is trying to get them out of the box that they have built for themselves, right? Matthew Henry in his commentary says, when he talks about worshiping in the spirit, says we must depend upon God's spirit for everything. Worshiping in the spirit means that we're just depending on the spirit of God for everything for strength and assistance, laying our souls under the influence of God and the operations of God. We must devote our own spirits to and employ them in the service of God. We must worship him with fixedness, with fixedness sorry, of thought and a flame of affection with all that is within us. This echoes what I said earlier, right? We must bow down to God. We must serve God. We must be 100% invested all in when we worship God. This helps us to understand that our worship is, is, isn't just a matter of us saying the right words or using the right form. You must mean what you say when you worship God. Going through the motions without the passion of the heart behind it is not genuine worship at all. In other words, you gotta, it's got to be more than lip service. We must be sincere. The actions behind our worship have to match up with what we're saying. It must be a true expression of the heart. The Bible has a lot to say about the heart. Psalms 34 and 11 says, The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart, and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Psalms 51 and 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. We know this, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. Oh, God, thou will not despise. There's something about being broken before the Lord. Some of the best worship you'll ever, you'll ever engage God in is when you're broken, when your heart has nowhere else to turn to but God. That's when God meets you at, at the best moment in your life is when, God, this heart, I've tried to, I've tried to put it in other things, God, but I, those things have failed me. Those idols have failed me. And so now I turn to you, God. My heart, it longs for you. And that's true worship. Hebrews 10 and 22 tells us, let us draw near with a true, other translations say, a sincere heart, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And our bodies washed with pure water. Our worship must spring out of the depths of our inner being. Many people, many people, sorry, equate the heart with our emotions. 
right? There's something tied to our heart and our emotions. And I'm certainly not against emotional praise or emotional worship. We should have that. We're going to have that here in, in, a, in a few minutes, right? But worshiping God until you feel good or you feel the chills and the thrills of the presence of God is somewhat of a shallow view of worship. As important as the emotional side is, and I'm glad God moves on my emotions, but if I get emotional and cry before God, but I walk out of this place and I go back to serving the idols of this world, what good was all that emotion that, that I felt in the presence of God? Right? That's why worship has to be a lifestyle. It has to, it has to be something that we do every day. As important as the emotional side of worship is, emotion cannot take the place of truth. Much of our worship today, we do it either in spirit or in truth. But Jesus didn't say that. Jesus taught that it's not an either or, but it's both spirit and in truth. The emotions that we feel in our heart, they must be trained. They must be channeled. They must be prompted by the truth of the written and inspired word of God. The truth side, I feel, is a lot easier for us to understand. For it obviously means that our worship must conform to the revelation of God in Scripture. It must be informed by who God is and what God is or what he is like. Our worship must be rooted in and tethered in to the realities of biblical revelation. God forbid that we start singing heresy here in, in Living Hope. That we start singing about this God or that God. Worship is not meant to be by what just feels good, but it also has to be in light of what is true. Amen. We don't worship a trinity. We don't worship a, a person. We don't worship a Jesus, little g, God. That's not who we worship. But we worship Jesus, who is the almighty God. Amen. He's the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Understand when, 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 when we worship wrong, God is not going to accept that worship. I'm, I don't mean to be harsh today. I'm not here to knock on what you may have, have learned or, or been trained, and I'm only here to point to what the Bible says. But when our worship is wrong, God won't accept it. A number of examples in the Old Testament point to this, and you guys can stand as I get ready to wrap up. In the book of Genesis, it records two brothers. They came to bring an offering unto the Lord, Cain and Abel. Right? God accepted Abel's offering, but he did not accept Cain's. Abel's offering was offered in faith and obedience, and Cain's was not. What that shows us is there is a true way to worship God, and there's a way that God is not going to accept. Shortly after coming out of Egypt, Israel failed to worship God properly. While Moses was on the mountain receiving instructions from God, even though a few verses later, a few verses prior, some of these verses I even read today, we find the children of Israel worshiping a golden calf when God told them not to do so. God expressly told them not to worship any graven image. And God rejected their worship and punished them by killing thousands of Israelites. Obviously, we live in a different time right now, and I'm thankful God isn't killing people left and right when they don't worship him, right? But the premise and precept is still the same. I want to be a true worshiper, and hopefully you all want to be one as well. We must worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. Amen. The last thing I would like to draw our attention to is something 
that I've glossed over. I've kind of talked about it, but I want to revisit it as a final thought. John chapter 4 and verse 23 tells us that the Father is seeking such to worship him. He's seeking. He's looking. He's longing because what that implies to me a little bit is that it's probably a rare thing that people worship God in spirit and in truth. He is looking. He's searching. He's looking from heaven. Where are my true worshipers at? Here's the thing, though. God isn't looking because he needs your worship. All right? God doesn't need your worship. He commands your worship. He's longing for your worship, but God doesn't need it. God is self-sufficient. God has everything he needs. He can fulfill that all by himself. He don't need anything from us. But the real reason why God is looking for such to worship him is because God loves you and God wants what's best for you. God is longing for you to worship him so that in return, God can give you the best thing that you could ever have in worship, all right? And the best thing that you can have is God himself. What else can be better for you than God giving you himself, right? What what is supposed to be better than that? We're supposed to be fulfilled and satisfied in God. And God is saying, I'm looking for such people that will find their satisfaction in me. Because when they find satisfaction in me, I'll fill them up. Jesus told the woman at the well, right, if you, you'll never thirst again, right? It, it, you'll never thirst again if you drink the water that I'm talking about. If you will find your fulfillment in me, you won't have to worry about anything else. The problem is we keep putting value and stock in other things, and we get disappointed when they don't fulfill us. But God is searching. He's looking. He's longing for true worshipers so that he can fulfill them. Amen? Amen. Amen. Would you bow your heads with me as we close? Lord, I thank you for your word, God. And, Lord, I know this morning's teaching, God, as you've given it to me, it's not a shout, it's not a run the aisles, Lord. But I pray, God, that someone would get a revelation this morning of how much you're looking and seeking such that will worship you, Lord. God, I pray God, train us up, God. Let us worship you the way you command us to, God, both in spirit and in truth, Lord. God, you're an almighty God. You're a wonderful God. You're a great God. And, Lord, we, Lord, need you more than we need anything else. And so as we close out this morning, why don't you take a moment, lift your hands, and worship the Lord right now. Oh, God, we worship you. Oh, God, we lift you up, oh, God. We, we love you, Jesus. We magnify you, God. God, we call on you, Lord. We bow down right now before you, Lord. God, what an amazing thing it is to serve you, Lord. God, let us serve you with gladness, God. Let us prostrate ourselves before you, God, because, God, you see all and you know all, God. God, so many things I've tried to worship, Lord, and they've led me astray. But but right now, God, help us to put our minds and hearts and focus on you, God. Let us worship you and become a true worshiper in spirit and in truth. Sometimes it is easy to start on your destination without knowing the exact path that it takes to get there. To get to our destination, we need to follow the one who knows our predestined path. Be sure to subscribe and watch us every Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Also, visit us at www.livinghopemd.com. 
I'm gonna wait on you, Jesus. I'm gonna wait.